0: Welcome to liquidity where we talk all things related to venture exits this is doug clinton one of the partners at loop ventures and i'm joined today by my colleague steve van sloan who recently did a study on direct listings steve thanks for joining thanks for having me So we've talked a lot on the show before about just direct listings and... Just a refresher for everybody, a direct listing is when a private company lists shares on a major stock exchange to be traded publicly. So it's an alternative to an IPO. The major difference is that currently with a direct listing, there's no capital raised like there is in an IPO. And there's also no lockup. So the float is basically full from the beginning when the direct listing happens. And in the study, we looked at 25 recent tech IPOs companies like Uber, Lyft, Peloton, Dropbox, a lot of familiar names. And we compared them with the two direct listings that we've had so far in Spotify and Slack. So kind of a small sample on that side. But we actually found something that I thought was kind of surprising, which was that the fees weren't necessarily cheaper for direct listings. Steve, what did you see in the data there in terms of the fees between those companies that went IPO versus direct listing?
1: Yeah, the fees were really similar. And the 25 companies that we looked at The fee they paid was somewhere between 29 and 34 million, based on whether there was exercise on the additional shares. And in the case of Spotify, they paid 35 million for their direct listing and slack paid about 22 million
0: it's funny it's like they are right in the range so you know i wonder if from a banking perspective you know we always used to think of the rule for fee was kind of like this seven percent thing on a hundred million dollar ipo and then obviously ipos have gotten so much bigger and now i don't think the seven percent rule plays anymore. But you mentioned that range of sort of high 20s to low 30s for the IPOs. I mean, that's literally where Spotify and Slack landed too. So it feels like they're kind of just maybe using the traditional IPO market as a gauge for you know what can we charge. I'm curious, Steve, as you looked at the data and kind of dug in there, You know, let's say that Spotify and Slack decided to raise capital through a traditional IPO. Given those fees, what would that have looked like for them? What do you think they would have been able to raise?
1: Yeah, so if we look at what they paid, Spotify could have raised about nine hundred and thirty-seven million and Slack about five hundred and ninety million. We're kind of assuming all things equal in that group of twenty-five.
0: And that was based on was it twenty-six million basically in capital raise per million in fees paid? That was kind of the ratio we saw. Yep. That is. So I wouldn't be surprised if those fees sort of came down some over time. You know, maybe not by a lot because I think the banks involved in this process who are advising direct listing companies, they still do provide some good value. I think they help with this price discovery. You know, They're not building a book like they would on a traditional IPO. They aren't taking orders, but I think they are gauging sentiment from buyers and sellers and sort of helping the market makers set that opening price. So it'll be really interesting, I think, to see over time kind of what happens with the fees on these direct listings. There's also another thing that I thought was telling in sort of the underpinnings of the data, which is there's this old adage about you never get fired for hiring Goldman for your IPO. And you know we've seen in the two direct listings so far, the banks on them were Morgan, Goldman, Allen and & Co. And I think Slack had a handful of other sort of advisors. And what I'm curious to see, you know, over time, and this is something I think we'll explore more, is does brand matter for these direct listings? Or does knowledge maybe matter more? Will this open up a new wave for maybe some different boutique banks that help with these direct listings? Or maybe they have an ability to sort of educate investors to help demand or even, I mean, as a former sell-side analyst, maybe do some of the work that maybe is not happening initially from that side. So that's something we're definitely going to track over time. Steve, let's shift to the underpricing side, because right? I think when we talk about direct listings and all the interest in direct listings from the tech community right now, I don't actually think it's that much about the fees. Like I think we assumed that the fees maybe would look different. They don't. But the bigger part of the discussion is really about the mispricings that we're seeing with these issues. And there's been other studies on this, but what did we see in terms of the mispricings in the last 25 IPOs that we looked at?
1: Yeah, this is something that Bill Gurley has been very vocal about in the last few years. And so in the 25 companies we looked at, probably the largest or probably most well-known is a better way to say tech companies the last two years, the average underpricing was about 38%. And of the 25, 23 companies were actually underpriced. The only companies that opened at an IPO price of less than the issue were Uber and Peloton of the 25
0: And it's funny to if you look at the news headlines for Uber and Peloton, they opened, like you said, Steve, below the issue price. And the headlines, like, they talk about this as like this negative thing, which obviously is not great. You know, you don't want your investors to be underwater immediately after they buy shares in your company. But it's almost funny, like there's this weird market feeling or semantic sort of thing about getting the price right, or having that IPO pop. And you know maybe over time, some of that language will change. And if an IPO is flattish on the day or opens flattish, maybe that'll start to be viewed as a success instead of if it's a little bit below, that's viewed as a failure. If it's this huge pop, you know maybe some people are happy about that, but the company shouldn't be happy about that because obviously they could have probably gotten a lot more for the shares that they issued that they did not.
1: Yeah, I think that's the key. And I think a lot of people have viewed a POP as being a positive event. But it's really, like you said, it's value that is not going to existing shareholders or the company itself. It's going to people that were able to purchase shares at the issue price rather than you know longer term investors that invest in the private markets.
0: Exactly. And th- I'm curious in our data, do you know offhand where Slack and Spotify, how they kind of closed on the first day of their trading relative to their open
1: yes slack was relatively even flat spotify was down about uh, a little over ten percent
0: if you compare those kind of flattish and down ten percent i think that's maybe a good proxy for the issue price to open price in a traditional ipo and so we've got two data points there averages let's say down five percent versus underpriced by 38% for the traditional IPO, it seems like there is something of a better discovery process. And again, it's a really small data set. We'll see what kind of more direct listings show on this front. But it does feel like, you know, when you're not having that massive kind of move on the first day, that things are priced more effectively. In the data, Steve, what was kind of the biggest surprise or maybe the biggest mispricing that you saw in the data and anything we learned from that?
1: Yeah, the biggest mispricing was CrowdStrike, which was underpriced by 87%. There were a few others, Zoom, PagerDuty, and Beyond Meat, which were underpriced by above 80%. And so I think the surprising thing was the number of companies, 23 of the 25, that were underpriced, but there's not too many that are close. They're underpriced by quite a bit, and there's quite a few that are on that high end as well.
0: Yeah. I think we were talking about this before. I think there were four companies in our study of twenty five that were more than eighty percent underpriced, which is just crazy. If you look at CrowdStrike, I think they raised a little over five hundred million, but with an eighty plus percent on mispricing or underpricing, I mean your cost of capital is not $500 million, like there's another 400 and some odd million in sort of hidden value transfer there in theory. I mean, obviously, if this was full float, you know, maybe that underpricing wouldn't look like 87%, but there's certainly something there that your cost of capital is much higher than probably perceived. You know, and maybe just one last thought that we could end on is as we think about how direct listings will evolve over time, one thing is obviously you can't currently raise money on a direct listing. And I think that there's work going on right now to try to change that. In the meantime, one solution to that that I know I think Bill Gurley, Steve, you mentioned him earlier, has talked about is you can just do a private round and do a direct listing three months later or whatever that looks like because there's so much money in the private markets, you'd have no trouble kind of raising that sort of pre-IPO capital. But what I think sometimes gets missed in that discussion, I think this is something we'll definitely do more work on too, is those private investors that consortium that will come together to do that pre-IPO round three months before the IPO, they're going to want a good price there too. They're not going to want to pay market price because they're going to want to see, maybe it's not an 80% mispricing, but they're going to want to see probably, you know, 10, 20, 30% accretion in value to their stock as they go into that IPO three or six months later. So I think there's always going to be some incremental cost to your capital aside from the underwriting fees. I don't think it's logical to think that a direct listing will completely eliminate that, but certainly 80% or an average of 38%, that's too high. I mean, I think if we can get it down into maybe high single digits or maybe something in the teens, this kind of cost of doing business, and that's a little bit more reasonable. is a fun topic. Steve, thank you for doing that study. And there will be more to come from us on direct listings.